One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Does God speak to people today? I would dare to declare yes, but not only that, he speaks in at least about 12 ways. In fact, God may have spoken to you and you didn't realize it when he did. Find out all about this intriguing subject on this episode of Revealing the True Light. There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. Does God speak to people today? I believe he does, and I believe he does in various ways on various levels. And we're going to explore 12 different ways that God speaks to people in this world. He is very active in communicating to the human race, and I believe some have ears to hear, some do not have ears to hear, some are oblivious to it, others are sensitive to it, and hopefully after this episode of Revealing the True Light, you'll be more sensitive to the voice of the Lord in all the various ways he communicates to those who have a heart to follow him and a heart to listen. I drew some of the information that I'm going to share on this podcast episode from an article that was written by a dear friend of mine, Ben Godwin. His parents actually prayed me into the kingdom of God because they and the rest of their prayer group felt that God spoke to their hearts to intercede for me. And so my very existence as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, hinged on the obedience of a group of people who felt they were following divine direction when God laid it on their hearts to pray for a yoga teacher in town who was teaching yoga at four universities in Tampa and running a yoga ashram. And I'll fill in the gaps and tell you the rest of the story a little later on. But miraculously, within a month's time, I came into a relationship with God and came into the kingdom of God. So God does direct people, and I am proof of that. I am the product of that. And so I know it's a very important subject. But anyway, Ben wrote an article about it. Ben Godwin wrote an article on 12 Ways God Speaks to Us, and it's posted on our website, thetruelight.net. If you've never visited our website, you should. It's packed full of articles and video teachings and testimonies or personal stories, transformation stories of people who were very deeply involved in the New Age and have come to know Jesus. I know it would be a great blessing to you. And there's a free download of my book, The Highest Adventure Encountering God, in over 10 languages. So visit thetruelight.net. And if you want more information on this subject, go to the area called Writings. It's under Biblical Writings. It's 12 Ways That God Speaks. Now let's begin the teaching. Number one, God speaks through the magnificence of his creation. 
In Psalm 19, it says, The heavens declare the glory of the Lord, and the earth shows his handiwork. In other words, from the macrocosm to the microcosm, God is communicating different things about his nature, not only his omnipotence as the creator who was able to bring forth such a massive universe, but also details in the universe speak profoundly concerning his ways, his ways of dealing with human beings, his ways of acting in his role as the creator. Also, Romans chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, says this, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And then Paul went on to reprove those who fall into the error of assigning divinity to creatures and worshiping them as deities. He said, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise. They became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. So in those four verses, Paul is saying that if they had ears to hear and hearts to understand, they could comprehend just through the testimony of creation the nature of the invisible God who brought it forth and not assign to him the image of some creature, some animal as is uh, very common in polytheistic cultures where they worship idols. So that's the first way that God speaks to people, through the massiveness of his creation. And I still, at this point, after knowing God and serving God for 52 years plus, walk out on a starry night and look up into the massive universe above me, and I'm awed at the greatness of God. The greatness of the universe speaks to me of the even greater greatness of the one who brought it into being. The second way that God speaks to people is through the conscience. And this is a way he speaks to every single human being. Now, the conscience is not, and I emphasize this, the conscience is not the presence of God within every human being. It's not a personal divine essence or spark of divinity, as New Agers call it, within every human being. It is a gift from God, but it is not the personal presence of God, because God is external prior to being born again, and yet he gives to a fallen human race this gift called conscience. If we did not have conscience, we would be given over to depravity, we would sink low into the pit of the lower nature. Thank God for conscience. Conscience is that inward sense of what is morally right and morally wrong, and it carries with it the desire to do what is morally right. It's a word that is only found in the New Testament of the Bible, and it's translated from the Greek word sunidesis, 
And synodesis means co-perception, co-perception. In other words, when you have an awakened conscience, you see things the way God sees them, co-perception. You understand life from God's perspective. In fact, the very essence of the meaning of synodesis in the Greek is to see completely. A person with a fully awakened conscience sees completely what is displeasing to God and what is pleasing to God. And then, of course, the outcome should be we align with what God's expectations are. Let me read you a very important scripture about this. It's Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Paul said, For when Gentiles who do not have the law, and when he said the law, he's talking about the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. And between themselves, their thoughts will either accuse them or excuse them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. What I glean from those three verses is this, that if people have never heard the Bible preached, if they've never heard the gospel, if they've never been confronted with the New Testament plan of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be judged on the day of judgment on the basis of their response to conscience. And their conscience will either accuse them or excuse them in the day of judgment. So the conscience is extremely important and it's resident within every human being. And it's God's subtle, subliminal, invisible way, inaudible way. It's not really spoken in an audible sound. It's that inward sense, and yet God's in it. And God does it to guide people toward a better way of living. Number three, I believe God speaks to people through coincidences. Have you ever had a coincidence happen where you just knew, ooh, this is some kind of sign from heaven. This is an indication that I'm going the right direction or the wrong direction, whichever the case may be. A coincidence, I've heard it put this way, is a miraculous kind of supernatural thing that happens, yet God remains anonymous. I call them God incidences, not coincidences. And it happens through something I also term sacred synchronicity. In other words, God just weaves things together invisibly behind the scenes. He gets involved. Nobody knows he's really that highly involved. And yet when it happens, when it blossoms right in front of you, you know, this has to be God. In fact, my salvation was that way. I told you that a prayer group in Tampa, Florida was praying for me to have an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And for about a month, there was a 24-hour prayer chain that was seeking God in my behalf. Well, one day I got a letter out of the blue from an old friend of mine telling me he had walked in a church on audible voice, said Jesus is the only way, and he felt the Spirit of God fall on him 
and he said he was born again, which was a term I was unfamiliar with, having been raised Catholic. They just don't magnify that term. And yet Jesus made it an essential thing. He said, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So anyway, um, that intrigued me. And one day I prayed all day long from 3.30 in the morning till 5.30 at night. I read the Bible and prayed, read the Bible and prayed that Jesus would give me a sign. And a coincidence happened. The same day I prayed, one of the members of the prayer group was two miles away from me when I stepped out on the road hitchhiking to go teach a yoga class at University of South Florida. And just coincidentally, when he walked into a laundromat with an armful of dirty clothes, God spoke to his heart, not necessarily in an audible voice, just a sense, an overwhelming knowing, an understanding. He knew in his heart of hearts he was not supposed to do that. He, he said he felt like God communicated to him not to go into the laundromat, but to get back in his car and start driving. And he had no idea that the yoga teacher he'd been praying for for a month was two miles down the road, uh, down a different road. He made two or three definite turns as he felt the impulse. And there again, God would speak to him, not with a voice, but with an impulse. He would feel this sense I'm supposed to turn here. I'm supposed to turn there. At least uh, that's how I, I'm uh, pretty assured that it happened with him. And then he saw me hitchhiking and he felt that impulse again and pulled over and I opened the door and God spoke to me with a sign because all day long I'd been saying, Jesus, if this is true, if you're the savior of the world, give me a sign that you're the way and I'll respond. And when I opened the door to his van, there was a picture of Jesus on the ceiling, and I knew it was my answer. I knew it was my sign. So the voice of the Lord was all involved in producing what appeared to be a coincidence, but it was a God incidence. And God moves that way a lot, a lot, worldwide, in a lot of people's lives. Even those who are unsaved sometimes are led in baby steps, the direction of God through little coincidences that happen in their lives that are divinely orchestrated. Next, number four, God speaks on a very fundamental level through his written word, Genesis through Revelation. The Bible, 66 books, is God speaking. In fact, Jesus was called the Word made flesh. So he was the entirety of the Word of God in a bodily form. I believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. I had a struggle with that when I first became a Christian. I thought that book was written by 40 people over a period of 1,500 years. How could it be the inerrant Word of God? And then God gave me a wonderful dream one night where I saw the Lord. And here again, God spoke to me, not in an audible voice, but in a dream. It's another way he speaks, and we'll get to that later. But I had this dream where the Lord Jesus Christ was standing in front of me, brilliant, radiant. The light of God's glory was emanating from him so strong, I could not even see the features of his face. And then all of a sudden, he disappeared, and in his place was an open book. 
and that open book I intuitively knew was the Bible. Yet it was not in English print, it was in Hebrew print, golden print on glowing white pages. But the most significant thing about it is that book was pulsating with an irregular pulsation like a human heartbeat. And every time it pulsated, a river of light came off the pages and poured into me. And I woke up out of this wonderful dream with this sensation of the presence of God, warm like hot oil, pouring into me from the pages of that holy book. Needless to say, I had no problem believing from that point forward that truly is the Word of God. And the main reason I believe it's the Word of God is it works. Because every time I've acted on a promise of God, believed on it, and when it came to pass, it was a verification. It was a validation of the entirety of the Word as a whole. Because if individual parts work, then surely the whole book called the Bible is from heaven. Then there's another way, number five, that God speaks, and that's the rhema word. The written word is the logos, L-O-G-O-S. That's a Greek word that's used for the written word of God. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If you never have a direct communication from God in an audible voice, you can make it through life successfully just following the written word, the logos. But from time to time, God will speak to his own. He said, my sheep know my voice. So if you surrender to his lordship, he's going to communicate to you one way or the other. And it may not be every day. Sometimes you may go days or even weeks or months without hearing a really strong communication from him. But when it's important, he'll speak. And you don't have to be doing some kind of esoteric ceremony in order to facilitate the voice of God speaking. Moses was just walking on a hillside doing his day-to-day business, I guess, tending his sheep when a bush caught on fire and the audible voice of God spoke out of the bush. He wasn't doing anything mystical to make that happen. God's not confined to that. And people have all of these occultic methods that are supposed to facilitate the hearing of the voice of God. He's bigger than that, mightier than that. He doesn't need that. So anyway, God speaks in something called the rhema word. Uh, In 2020, the beginning of 2020, right before the pandemic really started sweeping the world, God woke me up one morning and I got a rhema word from him. I heard the voice of the Lord say, health care providers, Gestapo. And I won't go into it deeply, but if you know what the Gestapo was, it was the secret police that served under Hitler. And you can look back and what happened with the pandemic and the many thousands of people who were harmed by the vaccine and all the deception that went along with it. And you can see why God warned me that way. God warned me in advance, and I got a rainbow word from God. Jesus said, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words, and the Greek translated words there is the Greek word rhema. He said, the rhema that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. See, when Jesus was communicating his sermons, his messages, 
his communications to his disciples. That was the rhema word flowing out of him. And often it contained references to the logos, the written word. God speaks both ways. Also, number six, and I'd delight to get to this one, God speaks in signs and wonders. Over and over, the Bible talks about how God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt with signs and wonders. A sign is an indicator of something else, just like the sign outside of a business indicates what is in that building. If you're looking for a certain restaurant, maybe you're looking for uh, P.F. Chang's, then you look for the sign, and the sign leads you to the location. Well, God gives signs to lead people in his will, to lead people in his purpose, to affirm truth, to confirm prophecy. And then the word wonder just simply means something that leaves you awestruck because of supernatural divine intervention. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, after Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and I don't really like calling them those three names because those were pagan names given to them that are connected to pagan gods. Their real Hebrew names were Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael, and those connect them to the true God, the God of Israel, uh, because uh, of certain meanings of those names. But he threw those three Hebrew young men into a furnace of fire because they refused to bow down to his big image that he had erected. And you know the story if you know anything about the Bible. Uh, Even though they were thrown in the fire, they didn't burn. And when Nebuchadnezzar looked in, there was a fourth man walking around in the fire with them that looked like the Son of God. Well, that was the pre-incarnate Christ. And of course, that was proof to Nebuchadnezzar that The idol he erected was a false god, and the god of the Hebrews was the true god. And we need signs and wonders now in this pluralistic world and this world that promotes universalistic ideas religiously that there is a true god. You cannot mix all the religions together because they all have different interpretations of the nature of God. And Nebuchadnezzar said this, how great are his signs in reference to God, and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. Thank God for the signs he gives, and he gives different signs. When we bought our house, and I'm doing this particular podcast from our home, from my library, we were looking for a house for several months. We lived in a little tiny rented house, and one evangelistic trip, we came back home and the entire kitchen ceiling had fallen on the floor. And I kind of uh, tongue-in-cheek said to my wife, I believe that's a sign from above that we need to get a home. And God gave me two dreams. Then again, God speaks in dreams. And he showed me the house that we should live in. And we house hunted for two months and Elizabeth would fall in love with a house, and I'd say, eh, it doesn't match the dream. And finally, she said, you go find your dream house, and then tell me about it, and I'll come and look at it. Well, one night, we happened to be out looking around, and I saw a house that looked interesting, knocked on the door. The man showed us around, but it didn't match the dream. And I 
I think it's very important to go by God's directives. I don't want to veer from them because you waste your time and waste your life. And so even though it was a nice house, I thought, no, no, this isn't the one we're interested in. And the man said, well, let me show you around a house my father and I just built down the road from us. I said, well, I could never afford a new house. I was talking myself out of a blessing God wanted to give me. We do that often. And he said, well, let me show it to you anyway. And he brought us down here and we walked through the front door and it matched the dream. And he proceeded to tell us the history of the house. The man who worked on the house was a Pentecostal pastor. No one worked on the house that was not a born-again believer. And when they laid the foundation of the house, they wrote the name Jesus in the foundation and dedicated the house to the blessings of God so that whatever family occupied that house would be under the fountain of God's blessings. I said, sold. Uh, I could search my whole life for a house with Jesus in the foundation and not find it. I took that as a double sign. I had the dream, but also had the sign that, yes, this is the right choice. And we ended up getting it for the price of a used house. And it's been a very uh, great blessing to us. Also, God speaks through angels. Number seven, angelic visitation. I think it's interesting to see that the Old Testament word that is translated angels and the New Testament Greek word that is translated angels, both of them are also translated messengers because quite often that's the role that angels play. They are messengers that God uses to bring messages to his people. You find numerous instances of that in the Bible. For instance, the angel Gabriel came to Joseph and told him not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife because the child that she was pregnant with was from the Holy Spirit. And he communicated to Joseph uh, that his name would be called Jesus, for he would save his people from their sins. So God could have told that to Joseph by himself. He didn't need an angel to bring that message. But for some reason, God loves to involve not only angels, but human beings in his work. He could communicate truth worldwide without me ever getting involved, but he wants my involvement. He delights to share this responsibility of the communication of truth. And I could give you plenty of instances where uh, where different people in the Bible were directed by an angelic visitation. I know one time I had a very profound experience with an angel where I had a dream. A man of God was holding a scroll and an angel came up and wrote on the scroll, healing is the expression of God's love, which was a real profound revelation to me because I had fallen into the erroneous mindset that healing was almost something you had to force God's hand on. And God was saying, no, I heal because I love. And then from off in the distance, I heard a man, a very prophetic man, shouting aloud, there are even some who will receive creative power. And I woke up with that ringing in my mind. And uh, without going into much detail, right after that, we saw a creative miracle in one of our meetings. A woman came in with both legs crippled, one from a birth deformity, the other from a car wreck. 
twisted around. She dragged her way to the back row and sat down. And when the time for prayer for healing came, she inched her way to the front. And when I prayed for her, she fell out under the power. And then she jumped up and ran around the church building. A creative miracle, just like the message I got in that dream where the angel visited me. And so God still does it. God still does. Incidentally, she contacted me on the internet on Facebook recently and told me she's still healed. Her legs are still working. As I told you, God also speaks in dreams. I had a very profound dream years ago where I saw the outline of America and a little red dot in the heart of America, just very obscure, hardly visible. And then suddenly that red dot exploded into two blood red words that like liquid soaked into the whole map of America. There was no place untouched. And those two words, one superimposed on the other, were the words, Jesus saves. And I knew by that dream that a massive move of God is coming to the United States of America, where there will be a tsunami of a spiritual awakening from coast to coast and border to border. And God used that dream to convince me I was to minister primarily in the U.S., instead of devoting my life to the people of India, which was what I wanted to do. Then number nine, God also speaks in visions. Now, a vision is kind of like dwelling in two worlds simultaneously. You're functioning in the natural world, but suddenly you're aware of a spiritual realm. And God shows you a vision of something that needs to happen or is going to happen or something you need to do. And that happens often in the Bible. We find, well, Paul's conversion. When he was on the road to Damascus to kill Christians, he had a vision. And this bright light shone around him. He wasn't doing anything to make that vision happen. And he said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. But arise on your feet and go to a street called Straight. And a man named Ananias will come and pray for you that you might receive your sight again. And Paul, instead of Saul, he was, his name was Saul on the road to Damascus. But God changed his life, his nature, his worldview, his identity. He became Paul, I believe, the greatest of all the apostles because he had one vision. God still speaks in visions. In fact, he said that he would speak to his servants, the prophets, in a vision and in a dream. That's one of God's favorite ways of communicating. Then number 11, he also speaks in a still, small voice. He did that with Elijah in the mountain when uh, Elijah had run from Jezebel, and he was up in a mountain, and there was a great wind, but God was not in the wind. There was a great earthquake, but God was not in the earthquake. There was a great fire that took place, but God was not in the fire. But then he heard a still, small voice. Sometimes God's spoken words are not booming like they certainly were from Mount Sinai when he gave the Ten Commandments, but very subtle whispers. And if you'll listen, and if you'll be sensitive to it, those still small whispered words will guide you to still waters of peace and green pastures of a fruitful life. 
Finally, number 12, God hides himself. The Bible says he's fairly a God who hides himself. And the final way that he speaks is in metaphors and symbols and similes and parables. God loves to take stories and hide symbolic meaning in it, like 10 virgins. In Matthew 25, he gave the parable of the 10 virgins. Five were, fi- five were foolish and five were wise. The wise had oil with them in their vessels with their lamps. The foolish did not have any oil. Their, their lamps uh, were extinguished as a result, and they were not ready for the bridegroom. And it was all a beautiful story indicating that you need to stay filled with the oil of the Holy Spirit if you're going to be ready for the second coming of Christ. Well, Jesus could have just said that plainly, but instead he likes to hide his voice in symbolic stories. The Bible is full of them, but God also acts them out in real life, in real time, in your life sometimes. Real life happenings can contain symbolic communications from God. So I'm going to end with a prayer that you will be able to understand the voice of God when you hear it and that you'll be able to hear it when it's softly spoken. I'm going to pray for you because uh, we all need this. Father God, I just pray that you'll do what Isaiah 50 verse 4 says you'll do. The prophet said, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I might have a word in season for him who is weary. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. I'm asking you to awaken our ears to hear as those who are instructed by God in his mysteries. We want to hear your voice. Like the bride of the Song of Solomon, we plead to hear your voice. Sweet is your voice. Powerful is your voice. Life-changing is your voice. I pray that you will give those that are listening to me the capacity of more clearly hearing your voice in their lives when you speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shree's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.